All right. So we are continuing on in Unit 5 of Parables of Jesus. And Unit 5 is the cost and the lost. But we're picking up in a context that is already in progress. Jesus started in Luke 14 by asking the Pharisees if it was against the law to heal a man on the Sabbath, if it was against the law to show mercy to a man on the Sabbath. And they didn't know how to answer because the law required no work on the Sabbath. And so they were confused. They didn't know if it would be a violation of the law to show mercy and do a work of healing on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus proceeds to tell a series of parables, and that's what we've been covering in this unit. He talks to them about taking the lowest place rather than the highest place. He tells them the parable of the wedding banquet, how those who think they're going to be the ones at the table are actually going to be replaced by the lost, the hurting, the broken, the blind, the crippled, the lame, and tells them that in order to follow Follow him, they must take up their cross and not love anything in this world, even their own family, more than they love God. He tells them to take up their cross. The cross is an instrument of torture and death, of crucifixion. It's the death penalty. It is the primary form of execution in that day. But the Pharisees listening, they're all grumbling. Why are they grumbling? Because Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of tax collectors and sinners, and he is receiving them, and he is eating with them, and he is rejoicing with them, and he's delighted that these sinners have found the truth of God and have repented of their sins and are being restored to relationship with God. But the Pharisees, they're grumbling about it. How can this man hang out with people like that? So Jesus proceeds to tell the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. If you had a son that had rebelled against you and gone off, but then came back to you, wouldn't you receive your son with mercy? Wouldn't you have mercy on a prodigal son who had come back? And Jesus goes on and he tells another parable about the shrewd manager, a manager who was wasting the possessions of his master by not prioritizing relationships more than money. He was not using the resources of the master to show goodwill to the people of the town. And this is just a parable, but what Jesus is saying is, yes, I understand that the law requires payment in full for the debt of sin that these sinners have against God. But Jesus is the shrewd manager that's going around forgiving debts, forgiving debts, forgiving debts, forgiving debts, so that people can be restored to relationship with God, rather than demanding payment in full for the full debt of sin that these sinners had. Jesus came to show mercy. And so he goes on from that parable. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, they ridiculed Jesus because the parable of the shrewd manager ends up with Jesus saying, you cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees loved money, and they even thought that money, their wealth, was a sign of blessing, God's blessing upon their life. And so for Jesus to say, you can't serve 
God and money, their grumbling degraded even further. Now they started to ridicule him. It's right there, Luke 16, verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, meaning they heard the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. They heard the parable of the shrewd manager. They heard all of these things, and they ridiculed him. They ridiculed Jesus. And it goes on. So this is now Luke 16, starting with verse 15. He's going to tell another parable. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So Jesus just covered a lot of ground in three sentences, and yet again, we're going to break that down piece by piece by piece. So, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John the Baptist. The law and the prophets is an abbreviated way of what we would call our Old Testament. It includes the law, which is the Pentateuch, or the first five books of Moses, or it could be called also Torah. So, if you know your Hebrew Bible, it's called Torah. And then there are also the writings, which are the historical writings. And then there's the prophets, which are the prophets who were sent by God throughout the centuries to admonish the people of Israel to repent and be obedient to the law. So the law and the prophets are all in agreement of doing things God's way. And the Old Covenant law requires, demands payment in full, full restitution for sins committed. Sacrifices are required. There are other requirements that are articulated throughout the law of Moses. That's how we know God's requirements for atonement for sin. The law was proclaimed until John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not proclaim the law. John the Baptist, unlike the prophets of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, John the Baptist came saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's what Jesus is saying. John started proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He was not any longer proclaiming repent and get right with God according to the Old Covenant terms. Now John was proclaiming repent because Messiah and his kingdom is coming and you've got to get right with God in order to be received by Messiah into his eternal kingdom. The law demands full payment for sins committed. But starting with John the Baptist, the kingdom is now proclaimed. In the new covenant, God does not hold sins against people, but instead forgives all sins and remembers sins no more. That's Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. That's what the promise of the new covenant is, is that I will remember your sins no more. Now, what does that mean? What that means is when sin is remembered, there are several times throughout the scriptures where God says, and now I will remember their sins. And he moves on 
into an act of judgment against a people because their sins had accumulated to a level that now it is time for judgment. And God remembers all of the sins cumulatively together because there needs to be judgment for those sins. Well, what Jesus came to do is shed his blood on a cross so that by his blood, all of our sins are forgiven. And so if there's no record of sin, then there is nothing to remember against us. When we stand before God as the judge, he has no sins to remember against us anymore because they have been blotted out by the atoning blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. God forgives our sins. He does not count our sins against us anymore. We have been reconciled to him and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's what the new covenant is all about. So I hope you see the difference. The old covenant still demanded you've got to get right with God and have your sins atoned for. The new covenant is get right with God through faith in Jesus to have your sins blotted out. The old covenant is the way of the law. The new covenant is the way of mercy. Well, Jesus goes on and he says, everyone forces his way into it. Or your translation might say, the violent take it by force. Well, friends, let's take all of these things in context. Jesus had just said five minutes before this, if you were standing there on that day, that in order to follow him, you have to take up your cross. And if we look at the preaching of John the Baptist, People flocked from all over Judea to John the Baptist. What did they flock to him for? What were they flocking to him to do? To confess their sins. Confess their sins in radical repentance so that they would do anything, change anything about their life in this world to be ready for the coming Messiah and his kingdom. So Jesus, he commands a certain violence towards ourselves. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. You have to be violent towards yourself, your own desires, your own agenda. The violent take the kingdom by force, by being willing at any expense to themselves, to pour them themselves out to stop everything about their prior way of life in order to do things God's way instead of their own. The violent ones are the ones continually asking, seeking, knocking persistently, not to do their own will, not to get God to do what they want him to do, but to turn themselves over no matter what it costs them to do God's will, to be right with him and be received by Messiah into the kingdom of God. And Jesus, he also reiterates, don't you fret, little Pharisees. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. The Pharisees listening to this, their minds must have been twisted up into a pretzel. Like, what? Is this guy saying that the law is no longer valid? Because that's blasphemy. We can get him for that. But he, nope, he won't have that. He says it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Don't think for a moment 
that Jesus is nullifying the law. He's not at all. Even what Jeremiah promised about the new covenant in those very same statements, the law and its requirements and God's relationship, that covenant with Israel will last and remain until heaven and earth pass away. At that time, it will pass away. But until heaven and earth pass away, the law remains in full effect. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He did so through his own perfect righteousness. And so what he's saying, that the kingdom of God is now being proclaimed, the kingdom of God does not negate the need for the law to be fulfilled. Jesus is the king because he does fulfill the law through his own perfect righteousness, but also through his mercy. We'll talk about that when we talk about the next parable, that mercy is a requirement of the law, and the Pharisees just seem to have missed that completely. Well, going on in this parable, Jesus switches the subject. He's using a new parable, but he's talking about the same thing. Adultery is when a husband or wife has sexual relations with someone other than their spouse. That's a plain definition of adultery. Well, divorce and marrying another person is adultery in the sight of God. Because in God's sight, the two original people who were married are still married to their first spouse. Now, Jesus, yes, he's now using marriage as the example for this same parable. I'm not going to get into an extensive discussion about marriage and divorce, although this would be a parable that plainly states Jesus' position on that, but we're not talking about that today. Jesus is using marriage as an illustration or a parable for what he's saying about the law and the prophets and the kingdom of God. You cannot be married in covenant with the old covenant and in the new covenant at the same time. You can only be in one or the other at the same time. To try to be in the new covenant while the old covenant remains is spiritual adultery. The only escape from a marital covenant in the eyes of God, and the only escape from the requirement of the old covenant in the eyes of God is death. Well, this is why it goes together with, you've got to take up your cross. What does the Apostle Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So even while we live in these bodies, we have to be totally dead to ourselves, dead to the law, dead to our old way of life. Are you the violent that is taking the kingdom by force, by dying so radically to yourself and your own agenda that you would be considered dead to your old way of life so that you could be alive to the new covenant? And Paul even says that we are dead to the law in order to live for Jesus and his kingdom. 
So what is Jesus doing? Jesus, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's not proclaiming the law. This is why in the context, the Pharisees are grumbling. What are they grumbling about? Sinners are spending time with Jesus. Jesus is feasting with sinners. But Jesus is saying, I'm not proclaiming the law. I'm proclaiming the kingdom of God. I'm proclaiming the new covenant. I'm not holding their sins against them. I'm forgiving their sins like a shrewd manager making relationships for my heavenly father. I'm forgiving their sins so that they can be restored into right relationship with God because otherwise they're never going to make it into the kingdom at all. Jesus was fulfilling the law through his own perfect righteousness, not nullifying it. And what he was proclaiming about the kingdom was not nullifying the law. The true fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the responsibility of the people of God, the people of Israel, was to demonstrate that God, the God of Israel, is the Most High God, the only God, the only God who is the creator of heaven and earth. And to fulfill the law by being so righteous and so just and so good that the heart of God is demonstrated to all the nations of the world, that all the nations of the world would be drawn in and say, what people is this that has a God so near to them? What people is this that has laws so righteous and just and true? What people is this that treat their poor and their broken and their sick and the outsiders so well, what people is this and who is their God? That was what the people of Israel were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be good stewards for the master, good managers for the master who is God. But Jesus is fulfilling being the good steward for God. By showing God's ultimate purpose for the law by his righteousness, but also by loving his neighbors as himself, by showing them mercy. See, most people, everyone wants mercy for themselves and judgment for everyone else. But if you want mercy for yourself and you say to yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, then that means you've got to show mercy to others. Love others as yourself. Show them mercy. So the Apostle Paul explains more about God not negating the law, but fulfilling it in Christ. Let's just read that quickly. This is Romans 3, starting with verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So again, he's saying God is not negating the law through the new covenant. As a matter of fact, the, the old covenant promises, the prophets promise that the new covenant is coming. The law of Moses go and read the last several chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, and you'll see that Moses in the law predicted all of this from the beginning. God knows the end from the beginning. The law and the prophets bear witness to the kingdom of God and the new covenant of God. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone needs the mercy of God. Everyone. 
and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So no one has earned this righteousness except for Jesus. And through faith in Jesus, our sins are washed away, and we get to be included in the messianic banquet. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. How can sinners spend time with Jesus? How can sinners and tax collectors hang out with Jesus? Why? Because God, in his divine mercy, has overlooked, passed over their former sins because of mercy and through the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. So the just requirement of the law has been met. Jesus lived the perfect life and died the perfect atoning death. The law, the requirement of the law has been met. God's justice has been fulfilled against Jesus. What do you deserve for your sin? The death penalty. What do I deserve for my sin? The death penalty. What did Jesus die in our place? The death penalty that we deserve. The righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled. So God is just and the justifier. He justifies us because we place our faith in Jesus who died on our behalf. When payment time comes and God says to us, how are you going to pay for your sins? How are you going to pay the debt that you owe? We can say, Jesus paid it for me. Jesus paid it for me. Jesus is the manager of your resources who came and said, write down your bill and cross it off. You don't owe God anything anymore. God wants a relationship with you. You are now restored to right standing with God with no debt of sin at all. Your debt is forgiven. Your sin is forgiven. We are justified by our faith in Jesus, who justly fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Paul goes on, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works, meaning works to fulfill the old covenant requirements? No, but by the law of faith, our faith in Jesus and what Jesus did for us. That's the difference between the requirement of the Old Covenant and the requirement of the New Covenant. And you cannot be in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant at the same time. That is spiritual adultery. Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul also talks a little bit about that. This is Romans 7. So we're starting Romans 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So that's the same parable that Jesus told. That's the same parable that we're covering right now. 
But Paul goes on, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Do you see it, friends? We are crucified with Christ. Jesus says, take up your cross. You've got to die completely to yourself, to the law, to the things of this world in order to be my disciple. If you don't completely die to yourself, you're still under the law and you're not worthy to be my disciple. We have died with Christ on the cross to the law so that we can be part of the kingdom of God and part of the new covenant of God, not the old. You can't be in the old and the new at the same time. That's adultery. Paul goes on, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So we're either bearing fruit for God through the kingdom and God's priorities, or if we're in our flesh, we are bearing fruit for death, just like the rest of the world. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees who were scoffing at him and ridiculing him. Why? Because they were lovers of money and position in this world. And they saw their money and position as the blessing of God because the law says if you obey the law, you'll be blessed. But here comes Jesus who's born in a manger and is walking around all of the resources and money that he has. He's giving it away to the poor. He's pouring his whole life out for the lost and the hurting and the broken. Why? Because he's the shepherd seeking after lost sheep. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because he has the heart of the father for the prodigals who have been restored through repentance, who have seen and heard the kingdom of God proclaimed, and they have come and confessed their sins and said, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but please just receive me as a servant. And Jesus instead is throwing a party with them and saying, I receive you back as a son. I'm restoring you to full position like you ever were with God. I'm wiping out your debt completely like a shrewd manager. Do you see how all of these go together? Jesus is explaining in parable form what he is doing as he is proclaiming the kingdom of God, forgiving the sins of the people, restoring people to relationship with God the Father, because that is the heart of God. Yes, the law requires payment in full for sin, but Jesus would say to any of you Pharisees listening out there today, the Lord says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Jesus came to show mercy. You can't be in the old and the new at the same time. The old does not pass away and the requirement remains. But the new requires mercy. And what the scripture says is that judgment will be merciless to those who have not shown mercy.